You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. And as you uh, wind down your greeting, you can turn into your Bibles to the book of Zechariah. <clears throat> Zechariah, it's the third to the last book of the uh, Old Testament Scripture. And uh, we are in the habit of not putting the Scripture on the screen, so turn to it to read along these several verses. Zechariah chapter 1, uh, verses 2 through 6, which is I'm, I'm going to read today as we begin. And we're concluding our two-month sermon series on the Minor Prophets today, talking about Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi today. So let's turn to Zechariah chapter 1, starting in verse 2, and it says this, Zechariah 1, verse 2, um, the Lord was very angry with your ancestors, is what it says. Which ancestors? Well, the ancestors we've been talking about in the Minor Prophets, the ones that were warned to return to the Lord, they didn't. And so the Lord was angry with them. Now, verse 3 says, Therefore tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. This very famous verse here. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. So this idea that your ancestors didn't do what was right, learn from their mistakes, return to the Lord, and he will return to you. Verse 4 do not be like your ancestors, to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways, your evil practices. But they did not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Verse 5, where are your ancestors now? And the prophets, do they live forever? Obviously, no. Uh, verse 6, but, do not, uh, but did not my words and my decrees, which I commanded my servants the prophets, overtake your ancestors. Yes, it did. They, they died. Then they repented and said, uh, the Lord Almighty uh, has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as he determined to do. So there's several people talking here. The gist is, learn from your ancestors. Learn from those people who have gone before. Um, and so that's one of the themes of today's lesson as we conclude the Minor Prophets. But before we begin, let's uh, open in prayer. And so, God, we do tell you that um, our hearts, our minds are open to you, open to receiving your messages, open to receiving um, what the minor prophets have to say. And God, as we conclude this sermon series that we've been in for, for now two months, God, we praise your name. We thank you that, that we can learn from our ancestors. We can learn from the people that have gone before us. We can change our ways. We can return to you, and you have promised to return to us. So God, we worship you. We praise you as Mill Sunday Schoolers. And everybody screamed, Amen. All right, well, I just asked you to tell somebody uh, that you don't know what your favorite activity as a kid was. Did anybody say riding a bike as a kid was their favorite activity? This is me, a little picture of me when I was a kid uh, on a little, uh, like a Hot Wheels thing. My dad, if you could see, I don't know if you could see in the picture, I apologize, um, but there, there's like a taped block to the pedals so that I could reach them, and I just loved this bike. I loved a few years later getting a real bike without training wheels and riding it, and it was like me and a pack of my little friends all through elementary school that would ride our bikes around and jump off curbs, and then we graduated and made bigger, better jumps. I found this internet picture. This isn't me, but uh, th this says a lot about my childhood. Um, <laughs> it's some kid with like a lame little jump, and it looks for sure like he's about to land on the kid that is laid down in the street. He's like, yeah, man, you could jump over me. Uh, turns out probably to be a very horrible mistake. Um, but we would constantly do this as, as kids. Build jumps, build bigger, better 
uh, higher jumps and go off those jumps. And none of us had this idea. Like, if you know anything about jumps, you know that uh, if you, what goes up, of course, must come down. And so a good jump will, will go up and it won't land flat. It'll land like on a decline. Do you, do you know that? Is anybody familiar enough about snowboarding or jumps or biking or whatever? And so we never quite made the jumps right. Um, and, and so here's kind of where this story falls into place, which I'm going to randomly try to stretch to use as a sermon illustration, to pay attention to the people that have gone before you and learn from them, learn from their mistakes. So anyways, uh, when I was a kid, I think probably second grade or something like that, a big truck dumped off a load of dirt in the street, something like this picture. There's just a big like pile of dirt in the street. Someone was going to use it for their, their garden or whatever, uh, landscaping. And so there's a big pile of dirt, about as big as a car, in the street, and it was at the bottom of a hill, which to all me and my little crony friends was like, oh, sweet, this is going to be the best jump the world has ever seen, because it's at the bottom of a hill. We could fly down this hill, hit this jump, and, and just be heroes of the day flying through the air, is, is what we all thought. And so on day one, after the dirt got dumped, kid number one goes flying down the hill, racing as fast as he can, like a little second grader, imagine this, hits this jump, goes flying into the air, and of course the, the jump had no landing, it just landed flat in the street, and so the bike goes one way, the kid goes the other way, turns out the kid was screaming and crying, we had to call his mom, mom comes out, yells at him, um, it's like the worst thing, you're already hurt, mom's yelling at you, turns out the kid broke his arm um, and had to be hauled away, and um, so we were like, man, too bad, whatever his name, Dennis, I think it was. Dennis got hurt. Oh, well. Um, Day two rolls around. Kid number two is like, I got a great idea. Let's do this jump. It's like no learning from your mistakes. So day number two, kid number two, goes flying down the hill, hits the jump. Of course, lands horribly wrong because it's a flat landing. Bike goes one way. He goes another way. He, uh, I think, twisted or broke. I think he ended up, no, I don't think it was broken. Ended up spraining his ankle, was in crutches for weeks at a time. And it's just like, oh, sweet. Kid number two got hurt. So day number three, kid number three is me. I'm like, I got a great idea. I'll go down this hill and hit this jump. It'll be awesome. Was like no inclination of like, duh, the other two kids just did this. They just got hurt on the other two days. And so I was like, oh, of course, I'll be different. I'll fly down this hill and I'll be the hero and I'll land it and I'll be the hero. Whatever, you know, kids are, kids are just dumb. They don't learn from anything. So I go flying down this hill. I take the jump. I of course, don't land it. And you're like in the air. If you've ever done a big jump, whether skiing or snowboarding or biking, you, there's this feeling you get as soon as like you're weightless up in the air and you've reached the like the, the the pinnacle of your height. You're weightless and you realize that you're about to go down. And there's nothing you can do to stop that. And I had this realization. I was like, oh wait. Kids before me have gotten hurt. What am I doing in the air? And of course, that wasn't enough to stop it because I'm already in the air. I come falling down. I end up hitting my teeth, like my two front teeth on the street. I didn't lose them. I don't know how I didn't lose them. Um, but I hit my two front teeth and my hands were all like scarred up. My knees were scarred up. It was just like, duh, of course that was going to happen. It happened to the two other kids. Why didn't you learn from your mistake? And, and I didn't. And I don't know why I didn't, but... Um, Anyways, we move on to the minor prophets, who I'm stretching this sermon story illustration 
to talk about uh, Zechariah, Haggai, and Malachi today because one of the big themes of all three of these books, we're talking about three books today in the Mill Sunday School, a very overview of these three books as we conclude this sermon series. But each one of them is like, why don't you learn from your ancestors? And we'll talk about a little bit, a review of the history of the minor prophets. But there's this big theme of like, why don't you learn from the people that have gone before you? They were hurt. They were killed. They were punished for their sins. Why don't you do what is right? And it's just like, duh, yeah, we need to do what is right. And so today, as we learn from the minor prophets, um, the, the same thing applies. Like, yes, we, we as believers today in 2012 need to learn from those who have gone before us. And so um, um, that's, that's kind of one of the big directions we're going to with today. So anyways, welcome to the Mill Sunday School. If you're here, if this is one of your uh, first times to the Mill Sunday School, Welcome. We're glad that you're here. On all the tables are uh, little visitor cards. You can fill that out with as much or a little information as you want. And then as you leave out in the lobby, uh, when you came in, uh, there's people at the black curtain back there, and they will greet you. They'll give you a CD. Um, it's worship music from the mill on a Friday night, and um, you can listen to that. It's, it's, it's pretty awesome worship music. Our main service, by the way, for the College in 20-somethings is Friday night. And so um, that is that. If you're new, um, uh, let's see. On your tables also is the new bookmark. Check those out. It's got the next six months of topics. It's a little blue thing. It's, it says that next month, the, the month of March, we are going to be talking about missions. And so we're going to leave behind our minor prophets, our study of the minor prophets. Um, and so we'll talk about missions and then the, the rest of the topics are on there for you to look at in the next upcoming six months. And those are for you to take home as a bookmark for a book or a fridge, um, whatever. So the, you could have those. We have plenty of them. So anyways, let's continue with the minor prophets. We are concluding today. We're, co- we're overviewing three books, uh, I realized very quickly this morning. But uh, let's do a very quick review of uh, where we're at so that we can talk about Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And we have to begin this story with Judah. Here's a picture, a map of Judah. If you've been following along with this sermon series, you will know that we've covered a grand scheme, this big time period of church history, of of, uh, Jewish Old Testament history, actually, of the the kingdom of Israel was in the north. They fell to the Assyrians. They were warned by God that it was coming. They didn't change their ways. They fell. Then the kingdom of Judah um, grows and continues. There's some good kings. There's some bad kings. They are warned that they are going to be overtaken by the Babylonians if they don't change their ways. And they didn't change their ways. Prophets came and warned them, and they didn't change. And so God, it's pretty clear that God actually is the one sending the Babylonians. And so here they come. I, I made this sweet PowerPoint thing. Uh, there they are. Sweet, look at them. They're just coming in. Made that myself. So anyways, there's the Babylonians destroying Judah, um, destroying the temple, destroying the people, killing, murdering. Uh, and mainly it's because of the spiritual reality that God warned them, uh, return to me um, or else I will destroy you. And all these minor prophet books are a lot of destruction and doom that God is warning the people is coming. And God was like, why don't you just change your ways? And the people did not. And so Babylonians were sent in by God. It, it says that in the, in the context of the, the text. You could read First and Second Kings and realize that God was actually the one sending the Babylonians uh, as a punishment for what the, the, the Jews had did. And then, um, then they leave. Here's, here's them leaving. Look at that. Pretty sweet, huh? So they take out 
um, the Babylonians take out the Jews. And so this is known as the, uh, the diaspora, the, the displacement of the Jewish people. They are brought into exile. And so that's a, a big piece of history. The Jewish people were taken to Babylonia. They were taken in exile as slaves, as prisoners. And while Babylonia is doing their thing, uh, being a, this great empire, another great empire comes and wipes out the Babylonians. And we have this story, uh, Nehemiah and Ezra, um, they, uh, under King uh, Cyrus is his name, they, the King Cyrus and the Persians are more favorable to the Jews. And so here's where we pick up the story of the Jews getting uh, allowed to go back to their homeland. And so if you could imagine going back home, here's just a picture of rubble and ancient destruction. Um, imagine like a family returning to their house after the, the house had burned down. And so they're returning after years had passed, about 50 years had passed. And so it's like another generation returns home to their homeland, to their land, to the, 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 the people that were left, to how few there were. And they find the temple destroyed. They find houses destroyed. I imagine like a whole community of people returning to their town after, say, a hurricane took out the entire town and just the devastation that they would see and the, the waves of emotion of like, gosh, so grateful that we're alive and that we're back, but this is horrible. You know, the, my house used to be here. Now all that's left is rubble. You know, our church used to be here. All that's left is, is rubble and, and stones where it used to lie. And so just all these feelings of coming back to something and it's yours, it's your home, it's where, you know, your parents and their, their parents grew up, but it is not the same. And, and so this idea of rebuilding happened. And so, which is right where we pick up the books, uh, Zechariah, and um, Haggai. So, so pay attention here. So here's, here's a little clip art picture of uh, people returning back to Israel, turn, returning back to Judah. I put up four of them, but there was 50,000-ish people that returned from the captivity of the Babylon um, back to their homeland of Judah. And here's, I, I picked four people to represent their names because these names are quite important. They're mentioned again and again, especially in the books of Haggai and Zechariah. Um, the first one here, the, the, the one that looks like a king, he's Zerubbabel, which his name is kind of hard to say. Look how many B's are in that word. It's like Zerubbabel. Um, sure. So Zerubbabel was kind of the, the political leader, the, the Jewish king, governor, slash leader um, that led the people back to their land. And what's interesting about him, several things, but uh, he is actually a descendant of David, the King David. And so as, as the Lord promised that um, the King David's uh, line would reign and return, uh, the, the, that promise is being renewed here with Zerubbabel, a descendant of David, um, being renewed um, that the people get to return, that the kingdom of, of Judah is being reestablished. And what's even cooler than that is if you turn to the New Testament and look at the genealogy of Jesus, like say Matthew, you will find Zerubbabel's name in there. And so Zerubbabel happens to be an ancient ancestor of Jesus himself. And so ultimately the, the idea that Jesus came as a, as a suffering king is being fulfilled in some of the Old Testament prophecies through David, through Zerubbabel, through on into Jesus. And so that's him. Uh, we'll for, refer to him in a, in a little bit. So keep in mind that he's the king, governor um, of the returned remnant. Um, and then Joshua, the taller guy, the guy that looks religious, he's the high priest. 
His name is Joshua, son of Jehozadak, not to be confused with Joshua from the book of Joshua. That was in ancient times. Um, And so move forward a couple thousand years. Here's Joshua, the high priest with Zerubbabel. And the other two guys that look like prophets are Haggai and uh, Zechariah. So these four are kind of the the famous people that return with the 50,000, this first group of the returned remnant um, from Babylon back to the their land of Judah. So, if you're with me, say, yes, I'm with you. Oh, wow, sweet. Okay, sometimes I, we don't get that response. So, I'm glad you're with me. Um, I guess the clip art pictures worked. So, good. Um, so, turn now. Uh, we were in Zechariah. So, turn, uh, let's see, to uh, Haggai, which is, uh, let's see, why am I confused? Oh, it's a, it's a book right before it. I was, it's an, I was in Zephaniah. Don't be confused with Zephaniah when we were in Zechariah. Now we're in Haggai, which is a very interesting book of the Bible, just uh, two chapters at length, so it's a pretty short book. We don't know too much about who Zach, uh, Haggai was, but we do know uh, about when he prophesied, which is, he's very specific about when he was prophesying, which other books of the Bible, we have to guess, like a few thousand years. Like, yeah, we think it was written sometime between here and then. We're not really sure. But Haggai is very specific. If you look at Haggai 1, verse 1, it says, In the second year of King Darius, King Darius is the king at that time of Persia, on the first day of the 16th month, the word of the Lord came through prophet Haggai. So very specific. We could trace this down. I think I wrote down uh, because the, the months were different. They used different months. But we could trace it to August 29th, 520 BC. So it's like we could, we could look at the exact date when this guy, uh, Haggai, prophesied. And if you continue reading this verse... So it's the prophet Haggai receiving the message to, and then it says Zerubbabel, who we just know is the king governor of the returned remnant and the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, we just talked about him, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And so that is the circumstances of Haggai prophesying. He is part of the people returning back home, seeing the destruction of the temple and the houses. And so Haggai begins to prophesy. And what Haggai's main... um, uh, prophecy is about is for the people to rebuild the temple. The temple is in ruins. The temple is this um, place where God, the, the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh, is worshipped, and the people return. They, they worry about their houses. They begin to rebuild their houses, and and they don't rebuild the temple. The, the temple is still in ruins. It's still like in rubble, a construction zone. And if you've ever been a part of a construction zone, maybe like the road near your street or the I-25 on your way to work. I remember like when the Bijou exit was going in. It was like years. It felt like years. I guess I could go back and look. It was probably only a few months. But how like annoying that it was under construction. And we know that feeling of like, oh gosh, it's under construction. We have to go around and there's always people working on it. It's like an endless project. And if we look at the dates of when the people returned to Judah, 536 B.C., and uh, we look at Haggai, which was August 29th, 520 B.C., how many years is that? Anybody quick with math? I'll just tell you, because obviously no one's that quick with math. 16! 16 years of of, uh, waiting for the temple to be restored. So people were working on their houses and rebuilding their houses, and yet they left the temple Unbuilt, And so Haggai calls them out on it. And there's this play on asking what time it is. So listen to this. Haggai chapter 1 verse 2 uh, says this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. 
These people, the people of Judah that returned, say, what do they say? They say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Haggai chapter 1, verse 3, the next verse says, Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. It is, uh, is it, excuse me, it's a question, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? And whenever I hear like paneling or paneled houses, I remember like the old basement walls. Does anybody else have these basement walls, like these cheap fake paneled basement walls? Anybody? Yeah, me too. Okay, sweet. So somebody knows where I'm at. Um, So we had these cheap paneled basement walls. Anyways, so this idea that um, isn't like the the paneled, whatever it was, um, was nice. And so this context of a nice house, the Haggai saying, why are you living in such nice houses? When the, 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 back then, the nicest house was a paneled house, whatever that really meant. I'm not particularly sure. Um, I've looked at some commentaries. They're not particularly sure. But we do know that Haggai's were just referring to the niceties of their house, that they have time for home improvements. Um, anybody remember this show? So they are doing their home improvements. Um, they are spending money on their houses. I imagine that if you came back with the, with the people of Judah and you came back to a land that had been devastated, I imagine that other houses around you would be devastated. So there'd be lots of building materials around. There'd be lots of land available because not everyone was able to return. And so, you, you know, you could grab your neighbor's land and grab his house and kind of use those construction materials to make your own house. And so here Haggai is accusing these people of making big, nice houses and not working on the temple. And so here's a picture of the temple that, that will be completed. However, it's not yet completed as we, here we are in the book of Haggai. Um, and the people are saying, yeah, it's not yet time for us to rebuild the Lord's house, which is just not, it's like, no, it is the time to rebuild the Lord's house. Why are you living in these paneled houses, these nice houses, whatever that means, um, and, and you're not doing the Lord's work. You're not joining in in the Lord's work. And so it's at this point in Sunday school that I kind of want to preach. Is it okay if I preach? Okay, there's a few of you that say yes, so I will continue with preaching, which in some ways is different than teaching. I, I'm not exactly sure how it all works out, but I just thought as as you all, or most of you are in college or 20-something, that's kind of the community of the mill. I'm a little older than that. I'm 33. But, um, and there's probably some of you that are older than that, and that, that's totally fine. But I think some things, sometimes we as uh, 20-something, I say we, are just us in our young adulthood um, are in this time of life where we have this temptation to say, yeah, just we're, we're, we know we, what we need to do in life, but the time has not yet come, we might say to ourselves. The time has not yet come, uh, and maybe you could think about some of your friends or periods of your own life, or maybe you're going through something right now where you're like, yeah, I know that I need to do this. I know that I need to rededicate my life to the Lord. I know that I need to leave behind this sin in my life. I know that I need to do that, but I don't want to do it just yet. And, and you're in this, the culture says that you're in this time period where you can just slack off and and not lean into life, not plan ahead. Um, you're not yet an adult, at least what the culture tells you. And so we, as as young people, can kind of be, um, I, I think, tempted to think, oh, the time has not yet come for 
us to get our lives right. We can slack off. We can do what we, whatever we want to do for this time. And once uh, you fill in the blank, you know, once I graduate college, once I get a real job, once I get married or whatever, I will get my life right. I will get my life straight and, and start living for the Lord or whatever. You know, fill in the blank with maybe uh, a situation you've gone through or a friend's situation who's the same age of you. Um, anyways, I say that to, to kind of think about um, Haggai and his situation, and all these people were disagreeing with each other, like, yeah, it's not yet time for us to rebuild the Lord's temple, and yet the Lord grieves in that. The Lord sends a prophet, Haggai, to preach to the leaders, Zerubbabel and, and uh, Joshua, to say, the time is now. Why in the world would you be building your nice houses and living in your nice houses why the Lord's house, why the Lord's work is left in ruin. And Haggai, um, and, and by the way, Zechariah, the, the next prophet we'll talk about, and Malachi all have these um, connotations of um, their wealth and how money is spent and how money is given. And which is often, you know, to kind of go back to this thing that I'm preaching at you right now um, and preaching to myself is that we as, as young people, um, uh, if you're in college especially, um, I think money is, is obviously a, a big deal of everyone's period in the time uh, of life. But I think some, sometimes there's just this idea that, oh, since I'm young and since I don't have a real job, a real career, then I don't need to uh, fill in the blank yet. I don't need to tithe yet. I don't need to uh, give an offering to the Lord yet. I don't need to help out my neighbor or give to the poor. I, there will be, there'll be time to do that later. There'll be time to do that when I'm older and I have a real job. And I think Haggai just kind of teaches us, no, the, the time is now. Um, the time is now to give. Um, the, this idea of tithing um, throughout the Old Testament, it's giving a tenth of what you made. And so the monetary system wasn't as prevalent as it is today. And so back then, if you people had ten cows, they would give to the Lord one cow, and they'd bring it, and they'd sacrifice it, and that meat would be used for the priests and the people working in the temple, the, the, the Levites. And, and it was a sacrifice to the Lord of a tenth of what you had. And, and I just think that sometimes in our young age, and, 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 and I'm hopefully not preaching at you, but also kind of talking to myself as well, that there's this temptation that we have of like, yeah, I, I know I need to tithe, but you know, I'm only working X amount of weeks. Maybe I'm only working four hours a week. And I, I thought back to when I was in college as a junior, I, I had, I think I was taking like 18 credit hours one semester and then 21 credit hours another semester, just a full load of credit hours for college. And I had this job that I thought paid pretty well. It paid pretty well for me. It was cleaning houses. And I only worked four hours a week and I made $10 an hour, which uh, this is like 10 years ago. So it's like a lot more than now. So don't judge me. $10 was a lot back then. Anyways, so I made $40 a week. Um, I lived with my parents and had lots of, uh, my food was taken care of, but I had $40 a week. And I just had this temptation of like, all I'm doing, I'm just making $40 a week. I'm just working four hours a week. To tithe on that would be pretty huge, even though it just actually is just only $4 to tithe on $40. And I was like, why, you know, I'll tithe once I get a real job. And I think that's just a temptation to, to lay off 
um, just to, to say, oh, I'll do that in the future. I'll get my life right in the future. I'll give in the future. Uh, I'll, I'll rebuild the temple, you know, figuratively uh, in the future, or literally as Haggai was prophesying about. And I just remember going back and making a decision when I was in college of like, okay, I'm only working four hours a week, and I'm only making $40, but I'm going to tithe $4, and I'm going to save $4. I'm going to tithe a tenth, and I'm going to save a tenth, and just get that practice into my life. And, and so looking back 10 years, I've, I've had 10 years of tithing and uh, saving, and it was just a pattern that was started back then with something as simple as $4 a week. How silly, you know, how inconsequential um, that seemed, but it was a pattern that set up, and it was a th- decision that I was making to follow the Lord, and that the, the time is now to, to give and to, to make my life right, to return to the Lord, and, and He will return to me. And so um, I say that just to kind of quickly mention uh, what we are doing as a church. Uh, Brady Boyd did not ask me to mention this, um, but I just thought it kind of goes along with Haggai and the, the book of Malachi and Zechariah, these, this bigger idea of, of rebuilding the temple and giving to the Lord's work. And uh, next month on the 11th, we as New Life are making a big offering. And I think the temptation for us, um, are you, uh, we, and, and our young lives right now in our 20s, if we're you know, not in our real job yet, um, maybe we don't have maybe we're just getting an allowance or something. but And so the temptation is to, oh, I'll put off giving to the Lord. I'll put off this idea of tithing or giving an offering to the Lord or to the poor or whatever. I'll put that off for the future. The time has not yet come. And Haggai, this prophet, says, the time is now. Don't put that off. The time is now to, to make it right, to, to do what you have to do to please the Lord, to return to Him. So, um, I just preached to you. Are you. Is everyone okay? Okay. I'm sure you are. Because um, you're middle Sunday schoolers, and you, you love learning, and, and so I, I just felt like I needed to preach instead of teach for a minute. So um, let's move on to another idea quickly before uh, talking about Zechariah and Malachi. And this is this uh, idea that is also quite, quite prevalent in these last three minor prophets, and that's this idea of giving to, to get, in a way, that if you uh, bless the Lord with your service, with your righteousness, with your money, whatever, if you give, then you will get back. Kind of this karma uh, system of how God works. Um, uh, and, and he does work sometimes in this idea of like, if you're good and you do good things and you give, well, then the Lord will return back good to you and righteousness and blessing to you. However, it's, it's not always this easy equation. Um, however, I, I feel like I do need to read uh, Haggai 1, uh, verse 5 says, Now this is what the Lord Almighty says, Give careful thought to your ways. And so he says, You've planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're never warm. You earn wages. This is an interesting uh, uh, image here. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. And so the people are not blessed of the Lord. They're working really hard, but there's never enough. They're earning a bunch of money, but they're putting it in a purse, and the purse has holes in it. And maybe, uh, I know we've probably all felt 
like that that's happened to us. We're working really hard, but just nothing goes right. You know, you're working, and then the car breaks down, and then it's something else, and then it's something else, and it's never going right. It's, you don't feel blessed at the time. And so Haggai specifically says, you're not being blessed because you are not taking care of the Lord's work, and the Lord is doing this to you, even though you're working really hard. Keep working really hard, and you're not going to be blessed until my temple is rebuilt, and then you're going to be blessed. And so it's this it's almost like a prosperity idea. It's almost um, this idea of if you give, the Lord will give back to you, which is uh, a, a true statement in a way. As we read Haggai, Zechariah says the same thing. Malachi, we'll read a passage um, from him in just a minute, um, which says if you give of the Lord to the Lord, you will get back. And so I just want to bring that up as a discussion question, and then I'll kind of chime in um, uh, about the the big picture here, but I wanted you to think about the big picture and just kind of turn to some people around you and talk about this idea of giving to get. Should we give to get or how does it work that way? Um, what, What are the implications of having that heart attitude towards God? So discuss I'll give you like two minutes, so quickly turn to some people, uh, form, form a group, form a bigger group if you're a smaller group, and discuss. Ready, get set, go. All right, I have a, um, a mic here if anyone wants to share uh, quickly just kind of maybe what their table talked about, and then I'll share some bigger idea, not bigger, but just big picture ideas about this idea of giving to get. Yes, here, Aaron Higgins. Okay, um, Ananias and Sapphira. Okay, good story. Yeah, uh, they, they kind of gave to get, uh, so I rest my case. So he rests his case. The, do you know the story, Ananias and Sapphira? So in the New Testament, is it Acts chapter 5, 4? Yeah. The, these people kind of cheat God. You could reread the story. It's quite complex. But they give land to get back, and God then just destroys them um, instead of giving them blessings. But there was kind of like a, they were kind of cheating the system too. So that's, all right. Yeah, Josh. Okay. Uh, I don't believe we should give to get. I think the motive should be to help the person or the church out. Yeah. Uh, but also it says that you will reap whatever you sow. So, I mean, expect to receive in giving, but not with the motive I'm giving to get with selfish motives. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's why. And there is uh, something called the prosperity gospel, which it does say, um, like taking books like Haggai, uh, Zechariah, Malachi, and saying, yeah, that's how the Lord works. It's an easy equation. Duh, which is not an easy equation. It's not duh. But if you give $100, well, then the Lord will give tenfold. And guess what? Maybe, you know, you'll just open up your mail one day and get $1,000 back. If you give $100, have you heard that kind of thinking that you're just like, oh, you'll get blessing, um, specifically money, if you give money? And I think Josh said it right, that, that if you give, your motive shouldn't be to get back. Your, your motive should just be to bless and to follow the Lord. But there is something. Josh, Josh did mention the, the verse, you will reap what you sow. If you sow in goodness, um, God will bless you back with goodness. Um, but it's not always that easy of a, an equation. So I have this picture of an equation. Maybe some of you could figure this out later. Um, 
And I'm just kidding. Anyways, I'm not even sure what that equation is, but it's a complicated equation. And maybe the Lord's equation is very complicated, so much so that it's not even an equation. There is mystery involved with how we give and what comes back to us. And I think it's way too simplified when people um, try to argue that like, oh yeah, if you, if you do good, good will come back to you. Well, yeah, sometimes, sure. But sometimes you do good and then people take advantage of you. Sometimes you have $10 for lunch and you see someone without lunch and you give, you, you give them your $10 for lunch and they go out and eat a nice lunch and you are hungry for the whole day because you gave your money away. And it's like, well, where was the blessing in that? Well, maybe there was. Maybe you knew that they needed the food more than you did and you have you know, this, this uh, righteous feeling about yourself, this blessed feeling, this blessed life, and then maybe the Lord you know, gives you another $20 and you eat a good dinner, but sometimes not. Sometimes you're just hungry all day for, for doing what was good and what was righteous. And I think there's, there's New Testament um, scriptures where Jesus says this, uh, John 16, 33 uh, 1633, you can look at it later. Jesus says, um, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. Um, in this world, you will have trouble. It's like, whoa, that's kind of a weird promise by Jesus, son of God. He's promising us trouble. Or uh, Acts 9, 16, it's right when Paul converts to Christianity. Uh, the Lord says, I will show Paul how much he has to suffer for my name. It's like, whoa, wait, what? What kind of promise is that? That's not nice. Like, what about blessings and puppies and rainbows for following God? Here, Paul is being promised trouble. Uh, Jesus promises trouble. Paul is promised how much he will have to suffer for the Lord's name. Like, where is this idea that if you're a blessing, you will get blessing back? And I think sometimes it's there. Sometimes there is an equation, and it's quite clear. You know, Haggai says, rebuild the Lord's temple, and I will bless your land. Um, Malachi, we're, we're going to get to this book where it says, test the Lord, give to the Lord, and he will give back to you. Test him in that, which is interesting because other passages passages say don't test the Lord, but we'll read this passage in Malachi that says, test the Lord, give to him, and he, he will give back to you. He will be faithful. Um, and so there's this bigger idea um, that we started off with that if you return to the Lord, he will return to you. And that is left mysterious and um, kind of uh, not certain of an equation that just this, yeah, return to the Lord, he will return to you. But what does that really mean? Does that mean if you give $5, you'll get $5 plus some change back or $5 plus a couple dollars back if you give to the Lord? Should we give to get? Well, it does seem like there's passages of scripture that, that do say, test the Lord, give of yourself, give of your time, give of your money, and he will bless you. Whereas there's other passages that talk about well, the, the suffering of the righteous, the rain falling on the righteous and unrighteous alike, the, the, the sun shining on the righteous and unrighteous alike. And so the equation, while I put up a very uh, complex equation <coughs> for some of you math nerds to solve later, um, it, it is not, and even a complex equation can't do, do justice to this idea of giving to get. As sometimes it does seem that way, that you give blessing and blessing comes back, but other times not. So let's continue. Uh, the, the next book in our uh, text here is Zechariah. And uh, we don't know too much about Zechariah either. He prophesied in the same year as Haggai. The book is 14 chapters long, which is 
Uh, we're, we're barely going to talk about it for five minutes, and so it is a book that you should read later and, and kind of get the context for what uh, Zechariah has to say. Um, it's tied with the longest minor prophet. Uh, Hosea is also, uh, I believe, 14 chapters, and so it's quite long, and a lot of what Zechariah has to say are these visions, which are very prophetic visions of flying scrolls and horses of different colors. And then it talks about Joshua, the high priest, and Satan. And it talks about um, these visions of of beautiful, brilliant things. And what's cool about Zechariah is within the text itself are some of these explanations of the prophetic image that he's talking about. So that's kind of cool. Sometimes we're left just clueless wondering, what does this all mean? Well, Zechariah does have some commentary within himself, his own book, talking about uh, what he is saying here. But the main point of Zechariah is what he begins with. Um, He talks about return to the Lord and the Lord will return to you, which is, by the way, our sweet quote of the day. We always put a sweet quote in the notes. Uh, Return to me and I will return to you the Lord. And so um, that, that is this bigger idea within the book of Zechariah, this idea of learning from your ancestors. They did not turn to the Lord, and Babylonians came in and destroyed them, took them away. You should learn from their mistake um, and, and return to the Lord, and he will be faithful. He will return to you um, if you return to him. And so there are quite a few. Here's a picture of uh, Jesus uh, that I found. I thought it was kind of cool because the sky. But anyways, um, Zechariah has lots of messianic prophecies. Um, I like to underline and highlight in my Bible. Does anybody else like to underline, highlight, mark in, make notes? Okay, good. Me too. I'm a big fan of that. And so way back in the day, I decided, oh, it'd be cool if I underlined in the Old Testament all the passages that uh, prophesy or uh, talk about the coming Messiah that we as Christians would look back on and say, this is is a prophecy of the coming one, the coming one being Jesus who fulfilled these things. And so I, under my color was green. I chose green. It'd be sweet if I underlined all the um, prophecies of Jesus in green in the Old Testament. And as I flip through the book of Zechariah, it's like every other page has some green on it. Some of the famous passages are Zechariah 9.9 that talks about uh, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous, having salvation, gentle, riding on a donkey. And so we, as believers of Jesus, have this image of that's how Jesus showed up in Jerusalem, um, like a king, but he was riding on a donkey. And so it was like, oh, cool, that was fulfilled when Jesus came. That's a pretty popular, um, famous passage of Jesus, the coming Messiah, in the Old Testament. Or Zechariah 11:12 talks about uh, the 30 pieces of silver, and of course Jesus was sold um, he was betrayed for the 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah 12:10 um, says, it's the Lord speaking, he says, they will look on me, the one they have pierced. And so it's like, oh, sweet. When was God pierced? Well, we would say, oh, he's pierced on the cross, and we will look upon him, God, the one we have pierced. And it's like, yeah, that's a fulfillment of what Jesus would do later. Um, and then Zechariah 3:9 is this very famous passage that he, uh, God, will remove sin on one day, all the sin of the land will be removed on one day, which, of course, we would say that's, that's the day Jesus, Son of God, died on the cross. The sin of the land was removed. And so how beautiful is that, that this passage is being fulfilled in Jesus? And so if we flip through um, Zechariah, Haggai has a few uh, pro- prophetic um, passages of Jesus coming as well. 
And if you flip uh, just a few more pages to Malachi, we're kind of moving on to another book now. There's also quite a few passages that I underlined, at least, in green, because I thought that was a cool color to underline prophecies of the coming Jesus in green. Um, And specifically, Malachi ends, if you look at the last passage in Malachi, so now we're talking, we're moving on to Malachi now, we're moving fast, obviously. Um, He ends his passage, he ends his prophetic prophecy with the coming of Elijah, who we, believers of the New Testament, would look back and say, the coming one, the one who prepares the way, is John the Baptist. And so we would say, Malachi here is, is prophesying of the one who would come. Jesus calls John the Baptist. He's the Elijah that would come, that was prophesied about. And so it's cool and beautiful that, that Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, ends with the, there'll be one who proclaims the way of the Lord, and then the New Testament opens up with the Gospels, the story of John, how he prepares the way of the Lord. Um, and so that's pretty neat. Anyways, Malachi. So we have to jump forward about 100 years. We're now in the mid-400s B.C., and you have to remember that time the numbers go smaller as time progresses in the Old Testament. And so here's back a, a picture, a model of uh, the temple. The temple was built in 516. So here we are about 100 years or so uh, after the temple was rebuilt, just because Haggai, Zechariah, you know, said, return to the Lord, rebuild the temple. The people did. So here it is. The town of Jerusalem is rebuilt. The walls are rebuilt under Nehemiah. The temple is rebuilt, and this will be the temple. This is the second temple that Jesus will come to. This will be the temple that's around during Jesus' lifetime. And then, of course, after Jesus, around 70 AD, the Romans will destroy this temple. But here it stands as we are studying the book of Malachi in this time period. (coughs) And Malachi picks up with this idea of, like Haggai said, rebuild the temple. So they did, they rebuilt it. And then Malachi picks up on the, the... the sacrifices that people are bringing. Malachi 1.8 says, You offer blind animals for sacrifices. Is that not wrong? Yes, it is. Uh, when you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Of course it is. Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased? No. Uh, would he accept you? No. And this is what the Lord Almighty says. So the people, are thinking back to like without, you know, we are a very monetary system. We know we have debit cards and cash. People back then did not have those systems. Um, and so they, they used animals and, and for monetary system. And so here people are bringing the weak, the crippled, the sick animals as a sacrifice to the Lord. It's like, no, you're supposed to bring your first, your best to the Lord. Why are you bringing what's left over, these lame, diseased animals that you should probably just just let die anyways because they're going to die? Instead, you're bringing those to the Lord. You're just going through the motions and bringing horrible sacrifices to the Lord. And the book of Malachi goes on and saying how horrible that is and then how the Lord is, is being disrespected by that. And the, the book of Malachi is where's the respect the Lord deserves. Have you not learned from the ancestors who came before you and, and did not respect the Lord and then got destroyed by the Babylonians? Here you are, finally, back into your land. Learn from them. Return to me. I will return to you. And then this very famous passage that I, I said I was going to read, Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, that has to do with tithing and offerings. And, and maybe you've heard this passage read before. Um, it's, it's quite interesting. Malachi 3, starting in verse 8, it says, uh, Will a mere mortal rob God? We as humans are mere mortals. Um, um, will we rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, 
how are we robbing you? Like, how are we robbing God? We're robbing God? Like, how could we steal something from him? And then he goes on to explain in tithes and offerings. Verse 9, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe, uh, that, that's a tenth of, of what is being made, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Um, and, and then he says, test me in this, which is just very interesting because it says in other passages, not to test the Lord. But here the Lord is saying, test me in this. If you, will, you should bring your offerings, your tithe, the tenth of, of what you make, this, this Old Testament idea that is potentially carried on into the New Testament of just giving, giving to the church, giving to the local church, giving to the poor. Give to the Lord, test the Lord in this, and then it says, he will bless you. It says, uh, the Lord Almighty, see if I do not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. He goes on to say that you'll be blessed if you give of the Lord, which is just returning to this bigger idea of return to the Lord and he will return to you. And that, that very passage is quoted in Malachi 3.7, just like it was quoted in Zechariah as well. So this idea of returning to the Lord the recapping that the, that the people had returned to their land, and so therefore they need to also return to the Lord, and the Lord will bless them. The Lord will take care of them. Learn from their ancestors. And so here we are with two or so minutes to spare, concluding all 12 of the minor prophets. We've spent two months, people, talking about the minor prophets, and I kind of realize now, like, a lot of churches don't have minor prophet sermon series, and I kind of realize now why they didn't, why they don't, why it's not that popular to do. If these passages are kind of destruction and doom. It's not puppies and rainbows and fairy tales. These are very hard passages to talk about. These, these warnings of the prophets, they're not the f- most fun books to talk about, like maybe the Gospels and Jesus. That's fun. These books have been very hard. Not to say that they haven't been meaningful or important or good. They have been, but it's been um, a hard two months. I don't know. Is that the best way to say that? Anyways, here's a picture of all 12 of them. Aren't they cool? Huddled up. And now I believe you, you know something. If you've been here and listened to all eight of these lectures, we've, we've covered a ton of history. We've covered these prophets, and we could say something about Jonah. We could say something about Amos, how he claimed not to be a prophet, and uh, Nahum, and how he prophesied over Nineveh, the destruction, and how Hosea uh, had to marry a prostitute woman who was cheating on him because that was how the Lord felt when, when the Lord felt like people were cheating um, the, the people were cheating God by worshiping other idols. So anyways, we conclude with this big idea, this quote from both Malachi and Zechariah that just says, return to the Lord, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. And if you don't return, well, then there's warnings. There, there, God wants you to return to him. I think that's this big idea passage within the entire context of the minor prophets. And so it's with this quote a uh, quote from the Bible that will end, we'll close in prayer, and then um, if you're going over to Big Church, invite some people with you to go over to Big Church together so you can sit with them. So let's conclude in prayer. God, we, th- we do thank you for the, the minor prophets, all 12 of them that, that we have studied these last two months. God, we thank you for the, the deep, the challenging lessons that you've brought to us. Father, continue to open our hearts and our minds as we 
Uh, maybe go from here and read more of the minor prophets or hear messages of, of the things you've done. May we not be like the people that don't learn from our ancestors, that don't learn from the people that have gone before us. God, would you help us to learn from the minor prophets, from, from the people that have gone before us, who have served your name, that have returned to you, and you have returned to them. So, Father, we praise you, we worship you, and everybody said, Amen. All right, friends, go in peace. Next month, we'll talk about missions. How fun will that be? It'll be awesome. All right, peace. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.